Welcome back to another episode of State of the Art. This is Gabe BC, your host. You can follow us at State of the Art on Instagram or Twitter, or send me an email to gabe at thestateoftheart.org and let me know what's going on. If you have any good ideas for me to do during quarantine here in Brooklyn, or you just want to send me like a good recipe for chicken or something. Um, Speaking of reading the comments and sending emails, our guest this week is Molly Soda, who actually created a piece at one point that was 10 hours long in which she reads all the comments on her YouTube videos. So I thought to start off this episode, I would actually read the comments here on this uh, video of a talk I did years ago. Uh, I'm just going to open it up without knowing what I'm doing here. This could go terribly wrong. Let's see. So this is from a a TED talk I did in 2012. Um, Here we go. Great speech. Oh, that's good. Interesting, but not groundbreaking. I predict the future of preserving memories will be more like holograms. Example per Tupac. The idea is so cool. Agreed. Am I the only one having a Harry Potter nerd moment? Not really relevant, but Colombo is the capital of my country. Never heard it as a last name. This has another word for kidnapping. He sounds like Seth MacFarlane. He talks ridiculously fast. Oh, these are very true, actually. Interactive art. This is why I believe the future of human entertainment is in the form of video games. I don't even have one friend. Wow, these are very sad and kind of strangely poetic. No one is erasing your life and a psychopath would want to trap people in jars. Okay, anyways, I've had enough of this. Um, I don't know how Molly did it for 10 hours. But uh, without further ado, let's welcome Molly Soda to the podcast. Molly Soda, thanks so much for joining me on the podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me. So I guess let's start off um, just basically if you could describe how you would explain your work to someone who's never seen or heard it before. Sure. Um, So I'm a visual artist. I typically work in digital mediums, so predominantly video as well as photography, video games, some AR, a little bit of VR. So I'm sort of all over the place, but I also do a lot of, uh, take a lot of work out of the computer and bring it into uh, physical spaces. So thinking about that um, in terms of installations Mm -hmm. and how to make work that is digital uh, sort of take on a new life outside of our computers. Because for me, um, it's really important that all my work is really accessible. So the internet is sort of like the place where I distribute all of my work. And I've always done that as an artist. And a lot of my work is about sort of our interactions with each other online and how the internet sort of like mediates that and creates um, sort of our identities as well as uh, our relationships to other people. Um, and then also something to note is that I often use myself in my work and that I've been using the internet for a very long time and documenting my life on the internet in various forms for a very long time. So often that can make itself, make its way back into my work. Yes. I guess, where did Molly Soda come from? Like (laughs) obviously Molly Soda (laughs) is you, but Uh is this, is this sort of a character you're playing or how did Molly Soda first emerge on the internet? So my real name is Amalia Soto. And so Molly Soda was just a username that I started to go by on Tumblr when I made a Tumblr account in 2009, I want to say. And it has since then taken on a life of its own. I, I don't know that I intended to go by Molly Soda, um, you know, 
I, it's also like sort of seeped into my personal life. Like now people call me Molly instead of Amalia. <laughs> right. So, um, but I think that that's also just something that happens from being online, especially with like, we often only know people by their handles. So whether it's their Twitter handle or Instagram or like someone's Facebook name prior to Facebook really cracking down on the use of, uh, you know, real names. Um, and so for me, it was just another, it was a conscious decision to have a play on sort of um, my real name, but it, I don't know that I intended for it to become my the name that I'm known by as an artist, but obviously I think it's very fitting in the work that I do. And when I chose that name, I was also thinking a lot about like someone like Lydia Lunch. And I was also really thinking about um, like MySpace scene queens and mm. sort of like playing with that. Um, these people that sort of had like a cult of uh, personality, um, but it's not, it's not necessarily like a character. Do you regret going by Molly Soda now at all? No, I I don't because it it makes sense in the grand scheme of things and like the way that everything played out. So I don't, and I think sometimes um, people find it confusing and how to like attribute things to me. And also, I think it confuses people in terms of like is Molly Soda like an alter ego? Um, mm-hmm. And I think that that's a very common misconception with my work is that I'm like playing a character and I'm really not in any way more than anyone else is playing a character online. So um, to me, Molly Soda acts more as a username than it does a persona. So kind of like we're all playing characters with these different usernames and the way we represent ourselves through various. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Like even if you go by your quote unquote real name online, you're still like, curating you know some sort of feed for whoever's looking at it so what was the first project you created as molly soda or the first video you made first video i made i mean i guess is there a line there where you delineate like now i'm molly soda versus amalia soto well in some ways yeah because you know in i was an undergrad when i started going by molly soda online so and i went to nyu for photography um and you know, everyone that I knew IRL knew me as Amalia. And I think that I was making work as Amalia. And then anyone that knew me online knew me as Molly. And it wasn't until after I graduated college that I started meeting people in real life from the internet who would refer to me as Molly. And that's why I go by Molly now oftentimes or introduce myself as Molly. But I would say that Basically anything under anything that I was posting on like YouTube or um, Facebook or uh, Tumblr around that time would be like the first thing. And and early on, I was really just experimenting a lot and just like dumping a lot of webcam videos online. So I would guess that that would be the first stuff. And then I would say that the first like big piece that I made was um, this piece called Inbox Full. Uh, which I made in 2012. And it is a recording. It's a 10 hour recording of me sitting down and reading all of the messages in my Tumblr inbox, just (laughs) like straight through. So did you just have this idea one day that you're getting all these messages and you thought, okay, I'm going to sit down for 10 hours and now record this? Well, I didn't know it was going to take 10 hours. So (laughs) (laughs) I had no, I, I knew that I had been getting all these messages and I think this was like, you know, 
being on Tumblr was really interesting because um, I was getting, well, there's an amazing community that I met through Tumblr and I was having a lot of fun on Tumblr and I was also pretty young. I was in my early twenties and I was still in college. So, um, but I was starting to get a lot of attention sort of as I was getting out of college and Tumblr sort of developed this feature where you could send people messages and they were, you could be anonymous or you could have your username attached or whatever. And people would send messages that were like super evil, like super mean or super invasive or ones that were really sweet or people asking for advice or whatever. And so I started to notice that like all of these messages were coming in at a rate that like I wasn't really going to be able to answer them. And I also think that when someone sends something, they often maybe not as much care about the response, but they want to know that you like acknowledged it Mm -hmm. um, or that you read it or that you saw them or you thought about them. And so my idea was to just start to, instead of like answering all these messages, just start to save them and let them accumulate. And then one day I sat down and decided to start uh, reading them not knowing how long it would take. I probably thought it was going to take like an hour. And then uh, it ended up taking 10 hours and I, I did it in like two or three parts, but I did it in the span of 24 hours. Like I, I made sure to like get it done quickly. And that's on YouTube still, right? You can watch the full 10 hours of that piece. It, it is on YouTube. And I ended up making a second version of um, the piece that was eight hours long. And I actually shot all in one take a year later. And that piece sold at um, at the Phillips auction, uh, the Tumblr net like net art auction digital art auction i think it was hailed as the first ever digital art auction huh yeah were were there any messages in that inbox that particularly stood out to you i mean now i mean i haven't watched that video i i only see that show that video like when i'm when i'm talking about it sometimes but i haven't actually like sat down and really like watched it so i don't know if there's anything um that would stick out to me now, but definitely a lot of comments on my appearance um, and a lot of just a lot of like advice. Like I think people were really seeking a lot of advice or people tell you a lot about their dreams. That's another Mm. really common thing. Yeah. I have that problem on this podcast sometimes too. Oh, really? (laughs) Sometimes people tell me about their dreams on here. Um, I think it's kind of nice. Yeah, I I have crazy dreams. So, you know, (laughs) people always say like they don't want to hear about your dreams, but mine are like, you know, falling into a puddle of blood at the bottom of a mountain. Anyways, um, (laughs) like what in your mind, what was the significance of Inbox Full? Like, um, why do you think it struck such a chord with people? You know, I have my own theories, but I'm curious, like, clearly it sold as this artwork. And you said before that you were sort of just kind of leaving messages on YouTube, what was this shift that happened with this piece? I think it was also just one of the first, um, I mean, it was one of the first pieces I made after graduating from undergrad too. And I think when you graduate from undergrad, there's a lot of burnout you experience. Um, But I don't know, I think just the sheer amount of content that I was, that I was uh, sort of, sort of showing Um, and I think that, yeah, I don't know, just, I think that we all sort of can relate to this need to, to like have these questions answered or like looked at or something. But I think also it was just sort of exposing, um, 
something that actually is maybe a little private or like hidden behind uh, this wall that, you know, a lot of the stuff would have just never been published. And also um, for me, I like, this is not quite the same, but I like seeing things online, like giving them like form or like making them physical because I think like, like it's interesting to like you see a lot of comments very quickly and you can scroll through them very quickly, but um, it's another thing to like actually give everything weight or like equal weight and like say it all out loud and really like take the time to parse through all of that. Um, so for me, that's something I've done a lot in my work is like finding ways to like show the sheer amount of stuff that we're kind of dealing with. And do you ever feel, I mean, embarrassed about older videos of yourself it seems like they're so honest and you're revealing so much about yourself <laughs> like I, I don't know i personally look back at like my aol accounts from 1998 yeah. and i'm like the top 10 albums of the year you know and it's like smashing pump you know i don't know yeah <laughs> but i yeah. i feel a lot of embarrassment i'm sure a lot of people do but you seem to be fine with exposing your life online yeah i mean i i think a little bit of shame is good for everyone um and i definitely do feel embarrassed about things I think it's funny because like it feels that I'm revealing a lot but it's but in some ways it's probably very calculated on my part and Mm. maybe subconsciously for me um but I do feel embarrassed but I do think that feeling embarrassed often makes us um sort of erase things or neglect things about ourselves that actually might be helpful to us later or might be very valuable to us later and I think that that's why I so often pull from older sort of interactions with the web because I'm, I tend to come around after. So there's a period, okay, there's a period of time where like you're embarrassed by something that you did in sort of your recent past. And then if something, if it's been enough time, like for example, like I'm not embarrassed about anything I did in high school because I know that I was in high school and it's fine mm-hmm. and it's normal for like a high schooler to behave certain ways. Um, But I might be embarrassed about something that I did three years ago because to me, I haven't had enough space away from that to see that at a distance. But in the meantime, if I went and deleted those things that I did three years ago, I wouldn't be able to um, come back and appreciate those things in 10 years. I would be probably really bummed out that I like deleted all that stuff or that I erased it. Um, And so for me, I'm constantly thinking about like future me is going to want to look at this even if current me thinks this sucks and maybe future me will also think it sucks but there will be something to harness from it like some growth that happened because of it sure or like or anything even like you know there's so much that we take for granted in our day-to-day interactions with the internet like i'm like a huge um sort of like digital hoarder because I think that we often take things for granted and then they don't become archived or we don't remember um, what the internet once was at a certain point because we we just don't care about it at the time but then um, I think all that stuff creates sort of like the pieces of a larger puzzle and you can see threads um, whether it's in your personal you know history or whether it's like a bigger thread of the internet as a whole. Yeah, I could see that. I mean, I often will open up weird hard drives and find ideas that I didn't realize were there that I then made Mm -hmm. like five years later. Can can you think of like a specific case of 
maybe an older video or an older piece that you made that you then looked back on and thought, oh, wow, like this, I've changed or learned so much since that point? Oh, yeah, definitely. There's a there's like a lot of stuff. And I and I wonder if I've changed a lot. I mean, I, I would say that a lot of my older works, I, I've been through a lot of phases in my work. So I would say that a lot of my older works, especially right out of college, I was I needed to sort of, I felt the need to play characters. It wasn't necessarily I was playing Molly Soda, but if I was making work about something, I would feel the need to sort of like script it and make it into a character so that it felt detached from me. And so therefore read as art. Hmm. Like what was an example of one of those characters? So at one point I became really, really interested in like YouTube beauty videos. And this was, um, in 2013 when I first sort of stumbled upon these types of videos on YouTube and, um, they're a huge thing now. I mean, it's become like a massive, um, you know, following of beauty influencers and, uh, you know, influencer culture has really changed a lot since 2013. But at the time I was watching all these videos of people like showing me the makeup that they bought from the store or like, um, whatever, just like people reviewing products and trying things on and sort of being like these weird advertisements. Mm -hmm. And initially I really wanted to make work about it, but I didn't know how to. And so initially what I did was I played these characters um, where I would like be giving like these fake hauls um, of products that I was buying. I, I think one of them was like a sweet 16 birthday haul (laughs) because I became really obsessed watching these girls like show you what they got for their birthday. Um, And then I realized when I was doing that, that I, that when I was playing the character, I was trying to distance myself from these people. And in that way was also sort of commenting that I thought maybe I was better than these people or smarter than these people. Um, And I didn't necessarily want to do that because that's not really what I was trying to say. But I think that I was so new to like understanding this and I really desperately wanted to make work about it, that it was the only way I knew how to. And over time, obviously my work has, I've been working with YouTube and like different sort of smaller cultures within YouTube and influencer culture and trying to find ways to talk about it and comment on it without having to sort of distance myself from it in the same way, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah, that makes total sense. What is your relationship like with your with people on YouTube? I mean, do you have like sort of a, a group of fans that follows you and comments regularly? Like, do you have any personal relationships with them outside of the internet? No, I mean, YouTube is really... The reason I love YouTube so much is because it feels detached from me in some ways it also feels like I can be really anonymous on YouTube even though I am like posting videos with my face in them but I can browse anonymously in a different way and so um for me what I like about YouTube is YouTube is just like this massive search engine so the chance of someone stumbling upon your video is like I don't know there's just like more of a chance of it being random or someone coming at it because like you know I upload like an earwax removal video. <laughs> I think it has like o- almost a million views. I'm not even sure at this point. And it's people just like, they probably also needed to remove their earwax. So they searched it on YouTube. Like how often have we like done something like that? So they stumble upon my video. So you're getting like people that maybe know me that are following me on YouTube that are talking to me, but then you're getting all these other people in the comments that are just like found me by searching. And so I think, 
YouTube is interesting because you're having people come at you from so many different directions and so many different types of people where something like Instagram or Twitter or even Facebook are people that like maybe they know you or they already know who you are or they already know that you're an artist. And so with YouTube, there's a bit more of a uh, and it feels a little more organic and I feel like there can be more misunderstanding or more like it's more open to interpretation, which is more fun for me. Is that misunderstanding? You think what makes it veer towards art versus like a uh, practical video? Like, I'm kind of curious when you go into making an earwax removal video, are you thinking like, I got to get this right? Like, I got to figure out how to remove the earwax <laughs> from my ear. Or are you thinking like, I'm going to make this video and see how many people really think of it as an earwax removal video? Like, are they going to get something out of it? Well, I don't, I don't really consider the earwax removal video as like a work of art. That's the thing. Like some of the stuff I put on YouTube, like some of the stuff I put on YouTube is, is like an art piece that I made and I'm putting on YouTube so people can access it. And some of the stuff that I put on YouTube is just simply because I wanted to make it and I happened to film it. <laughs> um, and, and, and because of that, I end up, uh, often, using the comments from those videos or seeing how that video ages or like what happens with it. And maybe I'll never do anything with it. Like I have like over 600 videos on YouTube and they're all spanning like a lot of different subject matter. And so a lot of them, like, you know, I wouldn't really consider like my finest work of art or even art, if that makes sense. Although I don't really believe in super determining that, but um, but more so I just kind of dump it on there and maybe something will come of it. For example, like I put up a video of me doing a blue eyeshadow makeup tutorial and with no intention of like acting in any certain way, I was just sincerely just putting on my makeup and it got a bunch of views and a bunch of people in the comments were just like, oh my God, this is so bad. Like, is this a joke? <laughs> yeah, they're and expecting it, was, it to be helpful, right, for them. Yeah. And they were just like, oh, like, you really need to pluck your eyebrows. Like, you need to wax your mustache. Like, they were like, either people were like making comments about like the way that I was doing my makeup or they were making comments about um, my physical appearance or they were like, oh, she needs help. Like, she could be pretty, but like, she's not doing her makeup right. And so... And I didn't know that that video was going to get that sort of reaction because I've done multiple videos like that before. And then that video, you know, ended up being a piece that went into a gallery where I ended up printing out all of the comments and sort of creating this infinite scroll of like all of the comments in the physical space of the gallery. Um, How do you feel about that transition, though? I mean, like to the art world with a capital A or whatever, however you want to call it. Because I, mm -hmm. I sense sort of like a little bit of um, uh, angsty. I don't know. I don't know what the right word is <laughs> <laughs> when describing this move from being online and kind of making these videos that are very performative, but also very, you know, honest um, mm -hmm. to then being shown in a gallery or being featured in, in an auction house. I'm just kind of really interested in your relationship with the art world in general. Yeah, I would. I'm very skeptical of the art world in a lot of ways. I mean, I I never intended to really be an artist with a capital A. I mean, I went to school for art. I've always been interested in art. Um, I like thinking about art, but I never thought about how my art could fit into those spaces. And so when I, I mean, the first time I got approached to be in that auction, I didn't even know that you could sell digital art. Mm -hmm. I never thought that that could be a thing. Um, and when I first got approached to do like a solo show in a gallery, I was also just like, 
okay, well, let's just put it all like, I'll just take every YouTube video I've ever made and just like put it in there, I guess. <laughs> and so, and now for me, I think of it in terms of doing shows with galleries, because my work is all online, I like to think about it as like a challenge because yes, my work is all online and accessible, but it's not curated in, in such a way where like, I'm not showing groups of work together. You're just like let loose and allowed to sort of discover my stuff as you please. And you may not find stuff maybe in the order that like me thinking about a specific show might do that for you. And so I like to sort of add like a curatorial element to my physical shows as well as physical installation that sort of anchors the work and also sort of mimics um, the experience of being online, but trying to give it sort of an embodied experience. So I love a lot of clutter in the gallery space, or I love to sort of make the walls look like a desktop with a lot of files on it, or I like to feel like you have a lot of tabs open and you don't know where the sound is coming from when you're in a space. <laughs> yeah, I noticed so, that from your website too. Uh, yeah, it's, exactly. Yeah. It's like the opposite of like a very clear curated website. You kind of just get dumped into this space and try and figure out what's going on, <laughs> yeah. um, which I really appreciate after seeing so many, uh, you know, Squarespace templates. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and I think also my website specifically, I'm also interested in, I think we're so um, sort of funneled into scrolling right now. And I really wanted to make things that made you surf the web a little bit more because I don't feel that we leave the same like three websites ever. And so I wanted everything to be sort of a hidden link that lets you just like end up somewhere else completely random. Do you think the web's gotten boring? Mm -hmm. Like I remember 2009, you know, Tumblr everybody felt a little bit more just experimental, even in terms of the mm -hmm. visual interface. And now it's, it really is, like you said, like I go to the same three sites every day. I'm trying to find something new, but I don't really even know where to go anymore. Yeah. Um, what do we do about that? I think that you have to be conscious of how you use the web. And I think that it takes a lot of effort because we've been trained to go online in very specific ways now, especially via our phones. Um, I think that desktop browsing has become less and less of a thing. And because of that, you know, like, we're sort of funneling between these same apps that make it very hard for you to get off of those apps. Same with websites like Amazon, they make it so hard for you to leave these websites because they want to keep you in them. And so you I think for me, like what I like to do is that I like to use the web very consciously or like take moments out of my day to surf and to kind of let myself um, get a little bit lost. But it becomes it becomes very hard because sometimes you don't really know what you're looking for. And so and I think I you know, some in some respects, I like YouTube because you can kind of get lost in these holes, but you're not really living leaving YouTube either. Um, also love Google, like I do a lot of Google image searching and then just like click to see where like the websites where these images came from and then go on these things. But it does have to be very, very, very conscious. And it's very difficult to do that because it's sort of like second nature to just like open Instagram, scroll, 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 and then like close out and then open Twitter and do the same thing. Maybe the most you'll do is click on an article that takes you away from Twitter. But I mean, even Instagram makes it so hard to share links. 
Yeah. It's like embedded in the framework. Yeah. They don't want you to leave. It's like Las yeah. Vegas uh, yeah. casinos. Uh, I'm, yeah. yeah I've, this whole quarantine, I've been, you know, looking at my screen time and it's just gone up and up and up. And I feel like mm-hmm. I'm not any happier and I'm not even sure what I'm learning from any of this. <laughs> That's yeah. why I was hoping that you have some like good recommendations of communities I should check out or anything like that. Um, I want to talk a little bit about your piece, Wrongbox. Um, sure. Tell us a little bit about Wrongbox and how it came about. Okay, so um, Wrongbox is a video game. It's a video game that I made with um, a, my collaborator who goes by Akuma, who's a video game developer, and he's worked on a lot of other really great games. And we made this video game, and the sort of conceit of the game is that you are in your teenage or like old childhood bedroom and it's being boxed up and you find your old computer from sort of the early 2000s like an old Dell or something and you log on and then you sort of get sucked into um this this old universe of uh sort of how it was to be online, at least when I was a teenager, it's completely based off of my experiences on the internet as a teenager and isn't really meant to be uh, everyone's experience, obviously, because I'm of a certain age. But um, the reason that I made it was that I was becoming increasingly frustrated with how hard it was for me to access any of these old websites and how um, all of these things that I thought would be around forever when I was younger and didn't really think about going away, um, have all become either defunct, like the website doesn't exist anymore, it's been completely overhauled, for example, like something like MySpace, um, where it was purchased and like basically everyone's stuff got deleted, um, or it just, it's a shell of a site and it's sort of just like empty, like broken image links and like things don't really lead to anything. So I wanted to make a game that sort of mimicked the frustration of me trying to go back and piece together my own history online because I grew up posting about my life online since like the age of 13, like pretty publicly on like different blogging platforms and whatnot, different social media. And so I wanted to mimic that frustration. um, But I also sort of wanted to create this like fantasy um, landscape of sort of a reminder of like what it felt to be online at that time but sort of gamify it and make it something um I don't know that felt like you were in this sort of like reimagined version because I'm cobbling a lot of this together from half of what I'm being able what what I can source from the internet still and then half of like what my memory is sort of allowing me to do is there a goal for players in the game? Not really. I mean, it's more of an exploratory game. I think what this was my first video game, and I initially it was actually a VR piece that I made, um, and it was a 360 video that me and Akuma made together. And after we made the video, which was only like three scenes, um, after we made the video, I was like, oh, I really like what we were going for here, but I actually don't like that it's just like a 360 VR video and I kind of want to make it into a game. And I don't have game brain. Like, <laughs> neither do I. I. <laughs> yeah, like I like playing games. I don't play a lot of them, but I like playing games. And I was really excited about making a game because I, as someone that makes a lot of video art, 
I was like, oh, it's like video art, but it's interactive. And so I wasn't really thinking in terms of like, oh, like what's the what's the whole storyline and like what's the objective here? So there's not like a clear objective. It's more something that you just experience. Um, and then there are things that you obviously have to do. Like, for example, there's a scene in the game where you are in a garden um, with a bunch of flowers and these flowers are popping up as these pop-up ads are also popping up and you have to throw arrows like like clicker, like the mouse pointer arrow at the ads to make them go away. And so, and you know, until you've gotten rid of all the ads, you can't move on to the next thing. So there are like, so you're not totally just like breezing through this game. Like there are like things that keep you from moving forward um, if you don't do them, but it's a pretty quick game all in all. I would say it takes probably like half an hour to an hour to go run through the whole thing. Is this game sort of an attempt to capture some of these um, older interactions that we had with the web, like the pop-up ads and, you know, for future generations that might not understand what they are? Yeah, you know, I wasn't thinking about future generations, but I do think that that stuff is important to document because I think like we might see that and be like, oh, that's just like what I did on MySpace when I was 14. Like who fucking cares? But it actually is very, very interesting. Like all of that stuff is interesting. And it all like what we did on MySpace when we were 15 has a lot to do with like what we're doing now. Like it all is related. And I think like knowing that history of the internet and knowing um, sort of like the way that things have played out and the way that things have gotten switched up and more streamlined and more of a sort of being crowd into the same rooms, like it versus like a place where like everything was customizable to the point where it was annoying um, is important to like think about it all together. So like thinking about this stuff from, you know, the early 2000s, is important in thinking about what we're doing now. And I think that also it's difficult to make work about sort of this era of my life and the internet because I think it falls into the trap of nostalgia. And that is frustrating for me just because I I think there's a lot more to it than that. But I also, and so it was a it was also a difficult thing to sort of get past in making the game because I didn't want people to play the game and just be like, oh, I remember that and then like move on. Um, I wanted people to think about like, what does it mean for my like personal memory that only certain things are left online and that I'll probably not remember the rest of these things? And what does it mean for me to put so much faith into these websites that like, I have no control over? And like, Instagram is not going to be around forever. Yet we document like some of the most important moments of our lives on these websites. And like, that might just be gone. Do you think you know? about that with your art as well? The fact that your art is primarily digital. I mean, obviously you make physical prints and installations, mm -hmm. but um, do you wonder sort of who's archiving and maintaining this art, you know, for 50 years down the road? Or is that something that's not important to you? It is important to me in some ways. I mean, in I've always been of the camp that like whatever you put online is just like no longer yours in a lot of ways. Like it just you're throwing it into the fire essentially and it will do and evolve with the internet in the way that it, that it will. And that's okay. So I find that aspect of it very interesting and I'm okay with that. And obviously I retain all of the, like, you know, all of the actual work itself, you know, within my hard drives and whatnot. But I do, 
wonder like like the work isn't going to feel the same without like the YouTube comments or without the advertisements or without the suggested videos and those are always changing mm. and so um, and I'm not going to be able to document every single day you know of that piece online like it's all it's a like living breathing thing so I do wonder about that and I do think that I've made a lot more efforts to try and archive a lot of that stuff or record stuff that I think might be important. Um, That's so in interesting the that, the, that the comments are part of the work. I don't know. I didn't put that together earlier, but has anybody yeah. ever been um, irritated that they're featured in one of your shows or their comments are featured? No. And I'm surprised that that's never happened, but I think maybe it's just because they just don't know. I don't know. They they just haven't seen it. I did have one situation because I, I pull a lot from stuff online. I did a piece um, called stay or me singing Rihanna, me singing stay by Rihanna, which is a piece um, I made a couple of years ago where I'm pulling all of these videos of different people in their rooms singing the song stay by Rihanna. And I'm also singing the song on webcam and we're all singing. I sort of make it so that we're all this choir like singing together. Mm -hmm. And I think there's like 50 some videos in there. And someone actually saw one of the videos. I just showed it in Belgium. Um, and someone was at the show and, or maybe it was Berlin. I don't remember. I think it was Belgium, but someone saw it at the show and they, they were in my video. Like they had made the video for YouTube and I had found it and put it in my video. So, and I remember she was confused and I think upset that that happened, but then I never really figured out what happened after that. But so I am, I am wary about that with comments, not so much. I'm wary about like using people's likeness in my work or like doing stuff like that. I felt like that piece like needed to have that in order to be that piece. Um, but also if someone were uncomfortable with that, I would obviously take the, like not use their comment or their video or whatever. Have people used your likeness in their work before? Probably. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> How and do you I feel about that? I would not care. I do not care about stuff like that at mm -hmm. all. And I think that that's like, that's probably an unpopular uh, opinion, but it really doesn't bother me at all. Like I don't. I don't know. I just, that's, it's not my, it well, doesn't it, concern me, I guess. It seems a little bit like you live your life out in the open anyways. What are some things that you don't put online? A lot of things, actually. Like, I mean, I don't even really post, like, I don't even post as much as I used to. And I think it's just because I'm getting older and I, I use the internet differently now. But, like, I don't really put anything about my, like, personal relationships, my family, um, Really, really anything that concerns other people and me, I don't put online. Anything that just concerns me is fair game, I would say. But I've even become a lot more closed off um, in recent years. And like my work, I mean, my work will always be personal in some ways. But I think uh, my work has taken a step back in the sense that I'm much more, I'm like observing a lot more. And as opposed to sort of like, putting myself out there and then just like seeing what happens and then mm. making work from that. And for me now I'm a little more, um, I don't know if I want to say calculated, but I'm thinking a lot more about like the work in a bigger, in a larger scope, I guess. Is that just because of age do you think, or is that more strategy or being involved in more gallery shows or I'm kind of curious where that comes from that change. 
I think some of it is age. I think it's also like different circumstances in my life. And so, um, you know, I think when I was younger online, I was really like looking for that connection. Um, and I was really open to that connection with strangers and with different people. I don't really feel that need anymore, maybe because the circumstances in my life had made it so that um, I feel fulfilled in my personal life uh, more so than I did when I was younger. But I also think when you're younger, you're looking for people that understand you a lot more. And younger people, I think, tend to put themselves out there a little bit more online. So like, you know, when I was on Tumblr, or even like earlier on Instagram, like, I was really open to making uh, friends and, and whatnot. But now I feel like I'm older, stuck in my ways. And I've made <laughs> sort of like my friends from that. And I'm still, you know, using these platforms. But also, I don't, I don't, I distrust these platforms. And I'm a little more critical of them mm. than maybe I once was. And I don't see them so much as like, this positive um, thing. Yeah, that makes sense. I feel like I second guess posting anything nowadays whereas maybe 10 years ago i'd just be like oh that's fine whatever (laughs) let's put it out there see Mm -hmm. who responds um you recently had a show at jack barrett gallery Uh, that was right before the quarantine is that correct yeah it opened on march 1st oh wow yeah (laughs) (laughs) how was that i mean like you must have put so much work into this and then to have it be open for two weeks yeah it it was it was okay. I think a lot of other things were like distracting me when I realized that like my show had to close. Mm-hmm. So it was like ended up being fine. But, um, but yeah, what it was um, sad. But I mean, I think a lot of us really had to um, deal with uh, things being canceled. I mean, we all did, and so I'm at least very thankful that I got to have my show open and have an opening. Um, instead of having like worked on a show and never have been able to like see it through, I think that would have been much more upsetting for me. So I'm thankful that, um, yeah, it, it got to have a physical opening. I will say, however, this was the show I made the most physical work for (laughs) as someone that never makes physical work. And like, like I actually made like sculptural pieces and I made a, a piece that was that totally revolves around you having to smell it. So <laughs> maybe not the best choice right during the yeah, outbreak. No. So it was, so I will say that was a bummer, but I think in one day I'll be able to show um, some of that work again. And that's, it's totally fine. What was the piece that you had to smell? So I made a candle display. Um, like, have you ever been to like a TJ Maxx or Marshall's yeah, and sure. like noticed it's can like they, they have like these candle displays where you can buy sort of these discounted kind of bougie seeming candles. Um, and they're always kind of the same brand. There's like this brand called DW home. There's mm-hmm. sand and fog. There's a lot. Um, but I was, I, I made this candle display of all these different scented candles that I had like hand poured myself. I'd made all these labels for them and each candle had a different scent and some of them were like really nice scents. And then some of them were kind of like these weird scents. Um, and I was really thinking about how candles are sort of a status symbol, like candles can be very, very expensive. Um, and they're sort of like this luxury item that like no one really needs a candle. So it's sort of this luxury item like a perfume, for example. Um, and it's also something very aspirational. So there's something very aspirational about acquiring um, candles. And there's also a huge community of candle YouTubers who review these candles on their YouTube accounts. And I always thought they were so interesting because 
they're re- like when someone reviews something, often I can at least see it. And so I understand like if I might want to use that thing or buy that thing, but with a candle, you're really just based going based off of someone's description of this candle. Like you cannot smell it mm-hmm. through a screen. And so I really wanted to make a scent based work, but I also wanted to think about how scent works in that aspirational line and how scents are associated with these things. So in these YouTube account, like in these YouTube channels, they're describing these candles, but they're using really descriptive language. Like they're like, it smells like I'm on a yacht and I'm drinking a margarita (laughs) and I'm like, I'm a millionaire. I have no idea what that smell is like. What is the smell of drinking a margarita on a yacht? But, But that smell means, you know, like smell it, like scent is such a, we have such strong associations for it to it. So like if I smell fresh mint, I'm like thinking of like, something from my childhood that you may not be thinking of because you didn't experience that smell. So it's like, there's so many layers to the scented stuff. So in some aspects, it's like this thing that is expensive and we covet it. And it also like conjures up different emotions for different people and different scents. So I wanted to do that, but I also wanted to like play on that aspirational nature. So then I would make sort of like these kind of gag scents. Like, uh, I made one called work from home because a big (laughs) aspect of aspirational culture is being able to work from home, which we're all doing now, or a lot of us are. What does work from home smell like? Work from home. The idea for work from home was I wanted it to smell like you lived with a cat and it, you know how, like, if you live with a cat, it kind of smells like cat pee, Mm -hmm. um, and, or like cat litter. And then, um, the scent of like Febreze or something to try and mask that scent. So it's like a little salty, but then a little like a weird, like clean floral scent. Um, <laughs> are you going to sell these? Uh, are you selling them as like one art object? Or are you selling them individually too? I don't know. I mean, I haven't sold the piece. My intention was to sell it as one art object because in my like wildest dreams, I would love someone to acquire it and like be able to show it somewhere. Mm. Um, I don't think that I'll sell them individually. I think, I think it makes more sense as like a larger thing, but perhaps down the line, I would start making like the individual candles if people wanted them. Although I don't know why anyone would want like a cat litter candle, but, um, I just like the idea that they're sort of circumstantial candles. Like you think about a certain image or scene and there's a candle that goes with that scene. Right. And um, I guess the last piece I want to talk about is also from this show called House Tour, which it seems like a lot of the show was about home decor or mm-hmm. like decorating digital spaces and physical spaces. So what mm-hmm. what is House Tour? I mean, I've seen parts of it online. Um, uh, so House Tour is a video piece where I have I have created a virtual like a virtual house, and there's like a bunch of um, different applications that you can use to like home decor apps or like weird apps where you can like build different homes. It's kind of like, you know, building a house in the Sims, but then these are really specifically geared towards like people that are interested in doing like home decor. And there's a bunch of them. And and it I was what really interested me about these apps, I was like, people are spending so many hours like building these like dream homes that they probably like could never afford and like that they'll probably never get to live in. And then they're putting all this like love and effort into these apps and it's almost like this game that they're like you know they're creating these like these like mood boards or these vision boards of these homes so I went and used one of these apps and I created um, a home and the app I think that I use is called planner 5d and um, 
I created a home, but I was also thinking specifically about the homes that I see on YouTube because if you watch a lot of YouTube lifestyle content or beauty content, um, you'll see that everyone kind of has the same backdrop and that everyone kind of has the same house. Mm. And so I was really obsessed with watching all these house tours on YouTube and I was like, okay, everyone's got like a lot of marble, everyone's got like white walls, like white furniture, um, rose gold and like brass accents, like everyone maybe has like a plant or like a fake plant, like they're like, you know, everyone has a home office with like sort of these like empty inspirational quotes, like everything. <laughs> these are not like of, New York City houses, clearly. No, I was I the show was really more so focused on like a suburban ideal Um, as and I grew up in the suburbs and I'm really like sort of obsessed with the suburbs and um of, of them as a concept. So I was thinking about people that like maybe had a lot of more space than someone in New York would have. Um, and so I created a house and set out to sort of like use a lot of these like status symbols on YouTube um, and embed them into my home. And luckily uh, applications like the one that I used have a lot of these things because they're, they're culturally sort of relevant right now. And so I, it, I ended up giving a tour of this home that I built and sort of treating it as if it was my own home. Although in the video, I make sure never to um, say that the that the home is fake, but I never also claim that it is like my real home. Um, <laughs> but it's sort of obviously CG rendered, right? Of course. Yeah. Yes, 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 yes. Like I'm like green screened into this house <laughs> basically. And so I'm like walking around talking about like, my decor ideas for the room, but I'm never like, like in a lot of house tour videos, you'll see people being like, I got this at Wayfair, blah, 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 blah. Like I was never like saying like where I purchased anything from. I was more so just like giving a grand sort of, this is like my, this was my idea for this room because I was designing it, you know, so I was decorating in some sense. So it's an aspirational sort of 3D house. Yes, but also like there's something very sad about yeah. the the aspirational home because they all look the same and they have no character and they're all very clean and they're all um there there's something like deeply sad about the the suburban aspirational home. So I think that I was also like in that video, I watched that video and I'm like I'm saying nothing for like 15 minutes. <laughs> Has anybody uh believed it? Has anybody asked you for home decorating tips? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's really cute though. Like, I think in the comments on that video, like, there's some people that are like, I don't get it, or like, this is fake, or like, whatever. And then other people are like, what are you talking about? She like worked really hard to get where she's gotten. Like, go, like, <laughs> stop go shaming you. her house. Yeah, it was, it was like really funny that people were sort of like playing along with it. That's great. Molly, thank you so much for uh, being on the podcast. Before we go, we have a series of rapid fire questions that we usually do on State of the Art. Um, so these are questions, just the first thing that pops into your mind. Um, don't overthink it. It's always fun and a little embarrassing sometimes. Um, right. So I guess we'll start off with what is your most vis visited internet site? Probably YouTube. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, if you could have your consciousness downloaded into a computer after you die, would you? And, uh, you know, what would that look like? Oh, maybe I would. I think it would just be like a chat bot. That you could chat with forever? Yeah. That sounds great. You should do it. 
Um, what's your favorite type of soda? I like seltzer, like just plain seltzer. Nice. Um, what are some things that scare you? Mm, I hate flying. Uh, that's about it, honestly. Like, I'm I'm a little iffy about travel in yeah, general. That makes sense. I always feel like uh, I look forward to getting somewhere, but not. I'm like anxious about doing anything else. I know. Um, I hate the process. Yeah, me too. Uh, well, although now we're pretty uh, lucky. We're stuck. <laughs> yeah. Um, what would you change about the internet if you could change anything? I would want the internet to be a series of smaller internets, I guess, or I would want, um, I would want Instagram and Facebook and Twitter to be broken up and I would want there to be more pages for more niche things like how forums used to function. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. And, um, finally, what is your guilty pleasure karaoke song? Ooh, I love karaoke. Um, guilty pleasure though. I don't know. I or like just to your, do, your karaoke jam, I guess. Um, I love to do red hot chili peppers. <laughs> Which song? Um, I normally do other side, but if I'm feeling like really crazy, I'll do can't stop. Wow. I wish we could, uh, afford to play that song now, but this podcast <laughs> does not have that kind of budget. <laughs> if you, you want to do like an acapella version, we can here at the end. No, I'm okay. Thank <laughs> okay. you so much. Thanks Molly. Molly Soda. Thank you so much for being on state of the art. Um, how do people find you online? Um, just search Molly Soda anywhere. MollySoda.exposed is my website. And then um, my username on Instagram is bloated and alone forever 1993. But I'm sure if you just search Molly Soda, you will find it. Thanks again, Molly. Thank you. Thanks for listening to another episode of State of the Art. I'm Gabe BC. Uh, you can always follow me at Gabe BC. Uh, if you have any ideas or suggestions or comments you want to relay to us, you can send me an email at gabe at thestateoftheart.org. Uh, we're happy to read some questions on the air or uh, communicate directly with you through social media at State of the Art on Twitter and Instagram. State of the Art is an at-art production originally created by Ethan Appleby. Uh, Weston Stevens is our audio engineer extraordinaire and Vanessa Wilson is our producer. And I hope that they're all doing well and uh, I've been communicating with them a little bit and they seem like they're safe and healthy. And I hope our audience is also uh, doing well and staying indoors and being safe. So we'll talk to you again next week. Thanks.